murder of Thomas Crane Wales rocked the Seattle area. He was one of the good guys, a federal prosecutor who was known to be fair but firm. Wales was gunned down in his Seattle home on a chilly October night in 2001. Despite valiant efforts by law enforcement, after nearly 20 years, the person or people responsible for the murder of Wales have never been brought to justice. In episode one of To Kill a Prosecutor, we talked with the hosts of the podcast, Somebody Somewhere, David Payne and Jody Gottlieb. They were the first independent journalists to take a hard look into the case. You have to understand the scope of the FBI's investigation was over three times the amount of documents than in the Enron case. Just three months before Wales was murdered, a pilot had been wrapped up in the prosecutor's last case. Some say the pilot either pulled the trigger himself or paid a hitman to do it because of a grudge. But is the pilot's alleged motivation for wanting Wales dead just smoke and mirrors in an investigation that from the beginning was doomed because of tunnel vision. In part two of To Kill a Prosecutor, we'll continue to pull on threads that the hosts of Somebody Somewhere dug up in their three-year investigation, the elaborate sting against the pilot and more details of Wales' last case including the alleged document that purports to be an internal Bell helicopter Textron memo confirming payments to 17 government officials, all of whom were involved with multi-year efforts to ground Bell retrofitted helicopters. On the list of people allegedly paid were various U.S. Forest Service personnel, FAA officials, and two Justice Department lawyers including Tom Wales. So Bell got what they wanted. Right, they want to ground these helicopters. And what about that dangling $1.5 million reward? I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the scene of the crime. I find myself skeptical of just about everybody in this story so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm skeptical of the pilot, that he didn't do anything wrong. I'm skeptical of Wales, that he wasn't involved in this conspiracy. I'm skeptical of the FAA and their reasons for wanting to push this case to the prosecution. I mean, everybody in it seems to have some kind of nefarious motives that could have compelled them to do things illegal. Well, and and if you listen to the podcast, it, it it's it's with so many different rabbit holes, you would feel even more conflicted. There are all these different guideposts and signs that you see with, you know, his name's on the memo. He, he brought this case. There's really no explanation for why he brought this case that we can determine uh, if he wasn't somehow, you know, incented to go along with it. On the other hand, family and friends and colleagues were consistent that, you know, this guy was a straight up guy. Stand up, dude. True, true arrow, Atticus Finch, you know, really fought for the good guys, was really adamant and passionate about, you know, gun control for the right reasons because of shootings in high school. I mean, he, he really comes across when you talk to anybody who knew him as no way in hell would he do anything wrong at all. 
which also, you know, you kind of get, well, we, you know, everybody's a sinner and everybody does stuff wrong. And I would add that um, one thing that was definitely consistent across no matter who you talk to was that no matter what, he was this stubborn guy. Like if he thought he was right about something, he would pursue it. So I think more than anything, uh, you know, that part of his personality trait had a real impact on, on what happened either way. It sounds like from his personality, his stubbornness, he might have been the type of person to pursue additional cases. Like you said, this pilot wasn't the only person who was retrofitting Hueys. So if he was successful or if he got some kind of information where he thought he might be successful in the next case, I could see where a dogged prosecutor would want to immediately pursue that. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. But like this this case with the pilot had already basically wrapped up. So I, I, I guess I can't see where that would cause anyone to want to murder him. But if that was just the tip of the iceberg, if it was just the first of what he planned to be many cases in this kind of realm, then I could see it. I think that based on since I've listened to the whole season and I've talked to them, I think that Tom Wales shut it down. He shut down the case. He did give them the misdemeanor and the the little fine or whatever. But there were people that were making money, consultants for the I don't know if they were actually working for the FAA, but they were certified to basically say this is unsafe. And I think one of them in the podcast, you know, had made hundreds of thousands of dollars as an expert witness somehow. And so there could be motive in that direction, which we don't know because it hasn't, you know, nothing has been released by law enforcement about this particular part of the case. And, you know, um, David and Jody were happy to hand their their work over to the to law enforcement to say, hey, you know, and they might have already, you know, they know that um, the FBI had gone and talked to this FAA expert, the one that refused to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and say, yeah, this is unsafe. So, uh, you know, I don't know. There's still, there's still so many questions. I mean, my analysis is that it sounds like the way that Tom Wales lived his life, you know, he's not the bad guy here. But um, I think that we do have to take a look at the documentation and we can't just say, oh, well, let's not muddy his name. I don't want to, but we do need to look at it. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't kill somebody for no reason. It may be a stupid reason. It yeah. may be a ridiculous, you know, right. Un, un, right. unnecessary, unreasonable reason, but there's mm-hmm. still always going to be a reason. Yeah. So about midway through the podcast, you know, the uh, somebody somewhere, Jody and David make a checklist about whether or not they felt the pilot had done it. And I asked them where that checklist stood in their minds now. Go ahead, Jody. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good question. You know, I think that continuing throughout our reporting, we we felt like we were waxing and waning on whether the pilot did it based on the day and the time and the information we had. Uh, I think now my feeling is a bit of uh, what it was early on, which is it's a very old case. I think now we're what now looking at 19 years later, they haven't been able to convict the pilot and it is with great effort that they have tried to do so. That's where I am today. I do believe that our podcast has kicked up some dust initially with Rosenstein coming out and some more press, but I, they haven't really been able to seal the deal. 
at the time, Rod Rosenstein was the uh, United States Deputy Attorney General. So they're sending out the, the quote unquote big guns and they're doing this huge press conference in 2018, and they're announcing that $525,000 has been added on top of the already million-dollar reward that's been dangling for a long time. They're hoping for tips, and in the press conference, there were more appeals for witnesses to come forward. But why would they come back that many years later to add money to the pot? That seems unusual. Well, they. You know, I think if you ask somebody somewhere, the podcasters would say, their podcast stirred up some dust and they ah. wanted to, you know, that's what they, it, it seems like they, what they've done is they'll release information every few years to say, hey, we're doing something. Hey, we're, this is happening But to add here. a significant amount of money like that is, that's really unusual. Yeah. That well, long after the murder. Yes. And that was from the, uh, like an attorney's organization, a prosecutor's attorney's or- organization okay. that put that together. But in the most recent twist in the case, they're speaking of reluctant witnesses, So the FBI's theory is that there's a small conspiracy of people involved and they're waiting for one of them to flip on the other. So far as we know, that hasn't happened. However, a new development, a woman had been charged with lying about a suspect's statement in connection with Wales's killing. And they, you know, they the government touted this as a big break. But David and Jody believe it's just more smoke and mirrors. Last few months with this woman who was arrested and indicted for lying to a grand jury. You know, the news really presented it here as some kind of breakthrough, whereas we look at it as, no, 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 this is really, this. it's a yeah. little bit of, of, look, look, we're still doing stuff. And it doesn't look very promising. Was she having a relationship with the pilot or was she, no. who is she in this? No, it's so bizarre. Of course. I'll, I'll, of course. I'll, I'll take I'll take a crack at this because this is this is their theory on it. Even though they believe the pilot did it, the issue has always been that there was a phone call placed from the pilot's house at the time of the murder. So either the pilot was home and he hired somebody to do the hit and he set up his own alibi by making that phone call, or the pilot did the hit and he had somebody at home helping with uh, making the phone call. So now Fast forward to this woman. They believe that this woman is friends with, more accurately put, a person that she was dating or had a relationship with is friends with this hitman that the pilot hired. This alleged hitman, yeah. And and is this a local person? Yes. The alleged hitman is believed to be, this is again through federal sources leaking to the Seattle Times, a 50-year-old Snohomish man. And he's the one who's alleged to have uh, been in that sketch that they released in 2005. And he was friends with, uh, allegedly, this guy who was an extortionist (laughs) uh, up in, how do you pronounce it, Camino Island? Camino Camino Island. Camino Island. Camino Island. Who was romantically involved with the woman who has been arrested and may have overheard a conversation where the Snohomish man bragged about killing a lawyer. Up on the hill. That's that's all we have. It's really cruel to try to pressure this woman to testify about what she may or may not have heard somebody say. She clearly is a broken person. She lost a son, a three-year-old son, in a tragic drowning. She has a history of um, drug addiction. She's just been 
arrested again for violating the terms of her release because she tested positive for drug use. I think it's such a stretch. You know, she was 16 years old at the time of the murder. There's no allegation she had anything to do with the murder. You know, it's a real stretch. So I I just have to rewind for a second. They said she was 16 years old at the time of the murder. She was basically the cable in the middle of a game of telephone between the hitman and the people who wanted the hit. I love how you can just concise, consolidate, and concise. That's, I'm just... I'm a digger, but you're like a complete, like, just, bam, bam, bam. I I'm know. trying to take a, a, a distant view of, like, so what are we really talking about here? We're talking about a teenage girl mm-hmm. who may have talked to somebody who may have talked to somebody who may have committed a hit. Yeah. And because she violated, you know, this latest thing is just but because But this she, is what they're yeah. saying is a big breakthrough in the case? Yeah. I mean, it's like the epitome of an unreliable witness. This mm-hmm. isn't a breakthrough of anything. Mm-hmm. So they've had all these years and they've really been digging into this conspiracy theory involving the pilot and the helicopters and all this. Mm-hmm. But have they been looking at any other possibilities? Was there any other theory that anybody brought about this case that they pursued at all? Well, we haven't even talked about their Mr. Big. What? I know. I know. Another rabbit hole. Apparently, there's this, you know how they have something called like tickling the wire where they like will say, <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> well, basically, when when law enforcement wants to get people talking. I'm sorry, my 14 year old brain just, <laughs> I have the brain of a 14 year old boy. I don't know if you know this, but I have the brain. So when I hear tickling the wire, it's just, oh my ah, God. Well, whatever. So, okay, so law enforcement basically, it's called tickling the wire when you want to get potential suspects talking if they get like a a, a a what is that called a warrant or like a wiretap a, a, okay, a wiretap wire what they'll do is they'll go and talk to one of the suspects and just be like hey you know and kind of drop something so what they hope is that the then suspect will talk to the other suspect that makes and sense. they'll be like oh my gosh i'm totally scared i'm totally worried and you know that's the tickling i get it the tickling wire. the wire okay right. so what they did and they, how they got signed off on this, I have no idea, is they basically did what's called like a Mr. Big scenario where they have some kind of, I'm going to say mafia figure, but some kind of criminal, high, high up criminal, reach out to the pilot and see if they can engage him in some criminal activity. So this is a real criminal or somebody pretending to be a criminal? I think it's a either it's I think it's. I think it's both. I don't know if it probably depends on the scenario. Yeah, but it's it's so you've got agents pretending, but then they also need to. I mean, it has to be a credible setup, or else Mm -hmm. you know the pilot's not going to believe it. Right. So they set this up, and they brought in the pilot, and and part of that is pretending like, well, in order for us to trust you, you need to tell us like the worst thing you've ever done, and we'll tell you what we've done. She's like, show me yours and I'll show you mine. Exactly. And this went on for <laughs> like a year. That's my 14-year-old Yeah. Boy well, in this, in this particular instance, it's very much, it's it's very, uh, it, it works. So the pilot didn't give it up. So I think this thing went on for like a year, this sting operation, and nothing came of it. So they've been doing, and, and I think that they talked about it on the podcast and they were like, hey, you know, the FBI, you know, they're not wrong necessarily in doing this because by 2006, the case had gone so cold and it's like, you got to start thinking of ideas to try to get this going. And that was one of the ideas that they had. But as far as back to your original question, I don't think anything has ever been released either through the FBI officially or unofficially through leaks that 
there's investigation into for certainly the the helicopter case or anything else. It's I would be been... curious about whether or not there's any active investigations that he was in the middle of that he hadn't brought to trial yet. Maybe no. somebody was trying to cut something off before it went to to trial or nope. you know or maybe if there's something, you know, other cases in his past where he did convict somebody and sent him away for a long time. They or... looked at all of his cases and this was the only case that <sighs> rose to the level of like scrutiny. Bizarre. I know. And so I don't know. Maybe it's like the $1.5 million. I keep going back to that because it seems like it would be such a great motivator to solving this case. But it doesn't sound like there is a lot of trust for a witness to reach out to law enforcement through the FBI's anonymous tip line. So I did talk to Jim Fuda, who's the director of law enforcement services for Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound. They do really great work. They have been so successful in protecting the identity of, of tipsters and thereby making them feel comfortable to come forward, which apparently the FBI tip line, I mean, they've gotten a lot of tips, but there's, I don't know. You're still calling the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Fuda says that Crime Stoppers is a conduit between law enforcement and the media, and he thinks that he could help with this case because they're nationwide because they've built trust. I think what you have to consider is that somebody knows who is, and they're, they're afraid, maybe afraid to come forward might have a criminal record themselves, afraid to talk to the FBI about it. And he talks a lot about why they've been so successful at Crime Stoppers. A lot of people call this, sometimes it's called like rat on a rat or, or something like that. Where, uh, But the bottom line is, is that we don't know who the tipster is that's turned that in. Whether they're a bad guy or a good guy, the bottom line is, is that we've solved a heinous crime. He says since they have a downloadable app for a cell phone that they have quadrupled their tips since 2016 and arrests have doubled because people don't trust the phone lines. So when I was talking to Fuda, I kept thinking, is it reasonable for people to be wary of reaching out to the FBI tip line? FBI line. It's still an FBI website. It's still, you know, and, and, I, and th there lies in the fear. Uh, we've tried this before, having police departments use it. And, and, you know, is it really anonymous? We guarantee it. And we've been challenged in the courts and we've never had to turn over any information on a person that's given a tip because we don't know who they are. And that's the other beauty of it, the anonymous tip line is the investigators might have 80% of the case done. But they're missing that 20%. And that anonymous tip that comes in puts it all together for them. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that that could be the case. We you know, get some advertisement out there and, and maybe someone can come in with that bit of information and we can bring some, some pretty bad guys to justice. The thing that keeps running through my head is, as we're talking about this is the possibility that it's none of this. Yeah. That it wasn't a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. That... Maybe it wasn't even the right guy that was murdered. I mean, it's hard to believe. I get it. He's no. a federal prosecutor. He's a high-profile guy. It would make sense that, you know, he could be the target of a hitman, whatever. Like, I get that. But at the same time, how many homes have basements in Queen Anne? I mean, what if somebody crawled into the wrong backyard? Or I, there's so many possibilities that I feel like they don't have any good solid evidence in any particular direction. So it very well could be the possibility that it wasn't even the right guy. Well, and I think that I want to really make this clear between both our podcast and somebody somewhere. It's like the FBI has been working their asses off on this case. They really want to solve this case. I mean, this was one of their brothers. This is not a case where there's any conspiracy within the FBI. That is for sure. 
Oh man, I'm looking at you skeptically I know, because I'm just like I don't I, I I don't care how many people in what agency have the best of intentions. You just can't rule out the possibility of a bad apple. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's true with with everything. with anything. Going back to what we've started with, did we ask the right questions and did we ask mm-hmm. the right people? Yeah. No matter how good your intentions are, if you don't ask the right people the right questions, you're not going to get the right answers. I think in this case, they have asked the right people the right questions. And I just think it's but so... But they haven't if they haven't solved the case. This is true. But <laughs> I think that now it's so convoluted, they could never bring this case to trial because it's like there's reasonable doubt every Everywhere. And the other thing is it's been so long since mm-hmm. the murder. Mm-hmm. The killer might not even be alive anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. So we should do that case sometime. <laughs> I think that's your turn. I've already been in this rabbit hole like a now million I'm times. Thinking. But if you do have a tip, or I think especially since the somebody somewhere has chiseled out this this dirt on the helicopter case with the FAA and all that stuff. And, you know, if you have a tip or know someone who does, you can go to Crime Stoppers or download their app. That's something we can put on our website, sceneofthecrimepodcast.com. I want to, again, and I know they're like my new besties, but, you know, all the work they did on this case is just incredible. So I want to end the podcast by, of course, recommending somebody somewhere. But Kim, what's up for next week? Well, Carolyn, I'm really excited about the story that I get to bring next week because we get to talk with a guy who not only was the lead negotiator in a standoff where he witnessed one of the most horrific crimes that he has ever seen. You know, we see a lot of dead bodies as policemen and that kind of thing, but not actually a murder in front of our eyes. He also shares with us what happened after the crime when he went back to find out why the suspect did it. I have to tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've had to do in my career, to sit across from this guy and be nice. And how he used that information to help train future negotiators on how to deal with antisocial personality disorders. That's coming up next time. I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is The Scene of the Crime.